Kia ora. Welcome to episode 77 of the SWNZ podcast, the podcast for New Zealand Star Wars fans. My name is Matt. And my name is Christy. Another interesting week for news from a galaxy far, far away, so let's jump in and talk Star Wars. First up, I just want to mention the event that's coming up this Saturday in Auckland, the music of John Williams in concert. We've mentioned this a couple of times in the podcast and on the SWZ website and even had a competition on the SWZ Facebook page. But just want to reiterate that it is taking place this weekend. There are a few tickets still available. We are very much looking forward to this event ourselves. This is an orchestral concert by Orchestra Auckland featuring the music of John Williams taking place at the Auckland Town Hall on Saturday, October the 1st. Fantastic live orchestral performances of John Williams' movie theme music from Star Wars, Harry Potter, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Schindler's List, Superman, Jurassic Park, E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Tickets via Ticketmaster. On the topic of John Williams, interesting bit of news that was around the internet in the past week, Star Wars composer John Williams is reported to have been made one of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's very last nights with the honour one of the final awards approved by the late monarch before her passing about a fortnight ago. The British press reports that the veteran composer's name is on the final list of honorary awards for foreign nationals. John Williams uh, began his career seven decades ago, so it's a well-earned title. He has received a number of accolades, including 25 Grammy Awards, 5 Oscars, and 7 BAFTA Awards. Absolutely an icon of uh, movie theme music. I had the very great honour of seeing John Williams conduct some of the Star Wars music for the 40th anniversary sort of special panel at Star Wars Celebration a few years ago. Um, I know he infrequently does sort of big orchestral events in the US. Um, if you're very, very lucky, you've been able to sort of see him in person. Uh, very looking forward to his sort of show of his music. Not that he will be there, but this will be sort of one of, the clo- one of the closest ways that most fans in New Zealand will be able to hear his sort of his uh, his iconic theme music being played by a full orchestra, the way that it was composed and sort of performed. Well, it kind of really struck me when we were watching the um, ILM documentary on Disney Plus, Light and Magic, how much overlap there is between George Lucas's work and um, Lucasfilm and Industrial Light and Magic and Steven Spielberg movies, um, how much overlap between the teams that worked on them. And John Williams is a big part of all of those all of those iconic films through the eighties and all the way through to recent times that. And the music plays a huge, huge part in our, our memories and, and sort of emotions and, and feelings associated with those films. A lot of iconic sort of movie music for particularly geek franchises as well. You've got Star Wars, the Superman theme music, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, of course, the, you know, the Indiana Jones movies. These ones sort of feel very close to home for Star Wars fans, you know, with that sort of overlap of like Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg and John Williams. It all kind of feels like it's in the same sort of family there. Yeah, so, it actually spans a number of generations. So a number of us, they were, those films were all coming out when we were kids, but even more recent ones, even the Harry Potter franchise, are a little bit more, a little bit more recent. So it does span generations and appeals to a number of generations in a really fantastic way. Yeah. I just on the topic because I did mention that uh, John Williams had been made an honorary knight. Bob Iger was also included in that list. Ex Disney chief executive Robert Iger has also been awarded an honorary knight of the British Empire for services to UK US relations. That's just a bit of mildly interesting trivia to throw in. That ties into um, the same honour being applied to John Williams. Other news updates still in a holding pattern for the Armageddon Expo, um, but we are expecting a news. We are expecting news as to whether or not the Auckland Armageddon Expo, due to take place in late October, will in fact be able to go ahead. That should be clarified by the end of this week. The High Court ruling and the decision that go no go decision for that event will be revealed by Friday this week. Fingers crossed that we will still be having an Auckland Armageddon in October. A headline that's been going around the internet that I guess is not surprising, but I will mention it just to um, cover all the details off. James Earl Jones has been reported to be hanging up his cape as Darth Vader. James Earl Jones has been voicing Darth Vader since since the very first movie in 77, of course. It's been publicly announced that he will no longer record new lines for Star Wars projects. Now aged 91, he last recorded a Darth Vader voice cameo for the 2019 sequel, The Rise of Skywalker. That information comes via Matthew Wood in an interview at Vanity Fair. The actor signed off on Lucasfilm's plans to continue to use his voice for Vader in the years to come through archival recordings and new dialogue created through AI. 
Vanity Fair has reported. So that's referring to the respeacher technology coming out via the Ukraine developers, and he has signed off on that. So that's kind of a, a presumption, but they haven't talked a lot about that. I think they wanted to focus on the sort of positive buzz for Obi-Wan Kenobi. They didn't want too much thing like, oh, this is like a fake Vader voice or anything like that. Yeah, Yeah. I think with fans, if you really listen to it, you could possibly tell or at least guess. Um, A little bit synthesized. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that that Mark Hamill's voice was kind of created in his original sort of youthful uh, tone for his scenes in The Mandalorian. I think it's good that we get sort of formal confirmation that, that yes, it wasn't, you know, him recording in, in a sound booth as per usual, that it was AI, as it were, through this new technology, but that he has given his blessing. Yep, I think that's, that's important. important because if he, I think it was one of those things where I think fans, even if he just like suddenly died, even if he had still been recording, I think fans can't imagine a world where that is not Vader's voice. Oh, look, you know, for like, because you know that they're never going to stop playing with Darth Vader. He is so central to the Star Wars world and, and all the stories there he's so pivotal it would be like i know if you go into some of the, like the cartoons and some of the video games it's not necessarily james or jones but for the sort of the live action it's always been you know very truthful he's got such an iconic voice when they redid the lion king they still kept him as mufasa with his iconic voice even though all the other characters were sort of recast even though it was all animation they could have brought all the same people back but they kept him it's the same with darth vader it's, i think it's, it's fans would deal. be upset yeah yeah because i mean when i was writing the notes for this podcast Podcast. I really, I stopped and I paused for a moment and was just reflecting on, you know, my, my recollections of watching the first movie back in the seventies as a, as a as a kid, and you know, I didn't stop and think about Darth Vader's voice being voiced by a, a human actor because it just he just so much embodied a a supervillain that you never gave it a second thought that there was a, you know a person behind it. It's that much of an iconic performance. Yeah, so I'm glad that. You know, he's he's getting his well-deserved retirement. And, um, and him, he's sort of, yeah, it's it's obviously going to go down in history that it's his voice and that it will continue to live on um, after he leaves this planet. And good that he's kind of, you know, given his blessing and signed off on it and stuff like that. Like, yep, it's fine. Because, you know, your voice is a little bit of, like, particularly if it's an iconic voice, it's, you know, you worry, like, people... Uh, toy with the sort of the ethics of getting sort of images and likenesses of uh, celebrities and that to sort of like endorse products and do advertising and things that they may not necessarily had agreed to uh, if they were still alive. So I think that that's good. You know, some people are very tight about they don't want to be used after they're dead and stuff like that. So I think fans can feel okay knowing that yes, they they continue to use his voice and not just sort of feel like iffy if, if a Darth Vader voice shows up after he has passed away everyone's like yep he wanted to continue to be the Darth Vader voice from here on into eternity so we can be happy about that and excited and and he can sort of rest easy in retirement because it's going to be a bit of a strain on the voice we know voice actors have often talked about the strain of their voice doing dialogue in the recording booth for hours and that and yeah everyone <laughs> everyone yeah. deserves to have a retirement Okay, coming up this weekend, Hasbro PulseCon 2022 is a online event that will take place over a couple of days. Uh, interestingly, it's described as being available uh, through the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel for free to adult fans in the US, Canada, UK, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, and Austria. New Zealand is not mentioned in that list. I don't know if that means they're going to geolock it and we won't be able to see it online, but we do mention it here regardless because uh, it, it, it is a forum in which they will be announcing a lot of new Hasbro product and uh, Star Wars product will be amongst that. So even if we can't directly access that through their YouTube channel for some bizarre frustrating reason, we will be uh, catching up on all of the news as it comes out via a variety of outlets. The Star Wars panel will be taking place US time Saturday. So Sunday New Zealand time will, will be when we are hearing all of the Star Wars news and announcements. Note from the official Hasbro PulseCon announcement for this event. During this panel, fans can join members of the Hasbro marketing and design teams as they talk about the popular Star Wars line from Hasbro, including the Black Series and Vintage Collection. Attendees will get an in-depth look at Hasbro's latest action figures and premium roleplay offerings from throughout the saga. Word on the the net is that there may also be a few surprises. Celebrating the Star Wars phenomenon, actors Simon Mario 
Cassianides, Axe Woes and the Mandalorian, D. Bradley Baker from Clone Wars and The Bad Batch, and Michelle Ang from The Bad Batch will be making appearances. Now, of course, we're going to get um, action figure announcements, but I also note that comment about roleplay offerings. Yes. It'd be cool if we could get more Black Series helmet announcements yeah. and views. Well, that might be Axe Woves. We know that yeah. we know that Hasbro obviously likes pumping out Mandalorian helmets in their Black Series one-to-one line. Well, we could see an announcement that Axe Woves is the latest in the Mandalorian yeah, lineup. possible, yeah. Um, and then, obviously, the inclusion of Dee Bradley Baker and Michelle Lang, which makes the entirety of the Bad Batch voice acting team. Yeah. That's, I'm hoping that we maybe they're going to reveal, like, Season 2 action figures, Season yeah. 2 Black Series, something like that. Um, maybe they would even launch into doing some of the Bad Batch helmets. That well, would be really cool because they're all very distinctive. Cool. Yes, they're would, very distinctive. I'd be surprised. Has and been... you know that they can just do repaints and recolors down the line because they're all based off primarily classic clone trooper armors. I know there's a lot of uh, variation. There's a lot of customization. I think they'd probably need different molds. So I think it might be a stretch to expect an entire, an entire Bad Batch team. I mean, they're not. I'd, it would be cool, I hesitate though. to say they're not quite that generous. It would be super cool. Yeah, I really love that. Yes. I mean, it would be a great set. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe they'll start test the waters with it with Hunter. That seems to be the way they're doing it with all the other product. Mm. Uh, and working down Hunter and Rekha seem to come first out of all Bad Batch product um, waves. Uh, so that's possible. But um, D. Bradley Baker, yeah, an actual, I mean, we don't have Black Series clone trooper helmets. Yeah. Um, even that would be pretty cool. Either way, I think we'll be talking about the outcome of this uh, event uh, in next week's podcast, uh, breaking down all of the announcements that we hear consequence of this. I think everyone has sort of like a wish list every time Hasbro does these reveal live streams. You always got like a wish list of characters and figures. Sometimes it's really predictable and sometimes it's really left field and you're like, what? Okay, that's a random character to bring in, but yeah. okay. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see which way they go. Obviously, Hasbro knows that eyes are going to be on this after... I'd, obviously, they're not touching on HasLab, but the HasLab stuff has been a little bit of a uh, a touchy subject, obviously, with uh, two failures there, because they're talking about premium roleplay offerings, and obviously the last failed HasLab project was something that technically falls in their premium roleplay offerings of the Reaver's lightsaber from Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. that did not meet its target. I, I could be so, wrong. I could be wrong, but I think it may be a little while yet before we hear more from yeah. Star Wars HasLab projects, more on the topic of Star Wars HasLab projects. Yeah, but it'll be just interesting to see what else they're going to put their efforts towards on, uh, on that. I would not be surprised if we get more helmets, and I look forward to that. Although we've still got a few to catch up on ourselves. I think... Certainly from a collector's perspective, there's a few companies that have been really making some really good moves recently in terms of collectibles. And I think it's, I would hope that it's lit a fire in Hasbro to sort of up their game, that they weren't just kind of the sole uh, kid on the block with just action figures and stuff like that. When we've got not so much in the, like we've had a little bit of a quiet patch with some of the, uh, the one-to-one helmets and things like that with the likes of EFX and... and Denonova. (laughs) But in terms of just like where collectors are spending their money, we've got a lot of hot toys. Funko is continuing continually smashing it out and we've got newcomers like Jazzwares really Super coming popular, in there and kind of taking a little bit of that collector pie money yeah, well, um, they, so it'll they, be they, interesting they, to see if they're well, like they're coming okay. into the market at a time where people are getting a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of disappointment associated with some of the Hasbro products so it's a perfect time for others to really get in there and um, take a piece of that pie it'll be really interesting to see if they talk about the packaging and sort of like, yeah, and how fans are really going to react to that. Cause these are iconic lines. Black series is newish, but it's got a really passionate fan base. And obviously the vintage collection and people get really touchy about, you know, changes. You collect these things. I know I'm personally, I'm one of those people that likes everything to kind of match when you get them all lined up. I think that's one of the things people appreciate about Funko. The boxes don't change. They're all the same size, always the sort of same window in the front. It's all the same. You can line them. You can line hundreds up on a shelf and they'll all fit and match and look the same. When it comes to Hasbro action figures, they were all over the show for decades. And the vintage collection is kind of like, okay, people like this style, let's go with the style. And that's good. But the Black Series, uh, they just can't seem to find their footing there. So it'll be really interesting to see what the packaging looks like because they always reveal some of that in these live streams. It'll be really interesting to see 
how their perspective on Star Wars collectibles is for the next sort of few months and however sort of into the future they reveal in this live stream. They're certainly uh, drumming it up to be something exciting if they are bringing in, you know, Star Wars guests. Yeah. So really interesting to see. I mean, they've got to have something that's exciting to add. Otherwise, it's just going to be like, what? You got like just those figures to show us, you know? Yeah, um, stuff we already knew. It never, yeah. never goes down well. All right, moving on to another vendor from in the topic of X-Wing Miniature Gaming. Some news from Asmodee that seems to be going down quite well amongst uh, players of that game. For the X-Wing 2nd Edition line, Hot Shots and Aces 2 Reinforcements Pack will be coming out on the 25th of November. That was just been announced in the last day or so. Enhance your Star Wars X-Wing squadrons with the Hot Shots and Aces 2 Reinforcements Pack featuring 38 new ship cards. This pack adds new pilot options to all 7 of the game's factions. Since just looking at the commentary online and in response to this announcement, it does seem to be very well very well received as quite a useful and interesting expansion to that game. Yeah, within the X-Wing Squadron game, obviously you've got all the classic Star Wars ships, but the specific pilots that you sort of attach to your ships really change the tactics, the maneuvers, all that sort of stuff. So I can imagine this, you don't really, like, obviously the ships are the expensive part with Star Wars X-Wing, so you don't want to sort of have to keep buying the big expensive components, storage, and just budgets. So adding a whole lot of new uh, sort of pilot cards is an inexpensive way to add a lot of variety and a lot of sort of just new yeah, content the game, to the, the game. game feeling fresh yeah. and alive and so actually can, maintained the so last thing really, you want when you've invested in a game like this yeah. to feel like it's not being backed by the by the developers. yeah when it goes sort of stale and you feel like you've played out all the sort of scenarios yeah. and the tactics and things like that so this this sounds really exciting 38 is a is that's a lot of sort of new variations to sort of throw into the mix Moving on from miniature gaming to PC and platform gaming, from the website Insider Gaming, there is a report that Disney apparently wants a new Star Wars game every six months. We've seen pretty slow movement in terms of Star Wars games over the last few years, to be honest. Uh, but this new ramp up in video game development is comes after EA Electronic Arts lost its exclusivity access to the franchise. There's quite a lot of projects in development, but apparently. Disney wants to ramp things up in order to keep the franchise alive to a rate of two titles per year, one AAA title and one smaller, potentially mobile game. But that's quite a lot of material on an ongoing basis. We know that there are a lot in development, but the development cycle for some of these is quite long. There's going to be another evolution of the Lego Star Wars saga, or at least another edition from TT Games, a new release coming out in a little bit. Uh, set to have everything that the original one had to offer and more with a total of six new DLC character packs on top of the seven available at launch. New characters including Cassian Andor, Reva, Captain Rex and more will soon be coming to Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Other titles that we know are currently in development include still Star Wars Eclipse, Knights of the Old Republic remake that's been moved to Saber Interactive, Star Wars Hunters by Zynga, we mentioned this last week, that's a mobile game, the global release of which has been delayed slightly, but it was tested in the New Zealand region. Jedi Survivor, the sequel coming from Respawn Entertainment. Another untitled FPS by Respawn Entertainment, an untitled strategy game by Respawn Entertainment. Amy Hennig's untitled game by Skydance Media and an open world game we're expecting from Ubisoft Massive. So that's quite a lot in the pipeline, but it doesn't necessarily even fill up that desire to have six uh, game every six months because some of those are not coming out till 24 or 25. Yeah, this is an interesting uh, sort of take. I, I kind of have two different perspectives on it. As someone that has played a fair amount of Star Wars video games, not all, but a fair amount, mm-hmm. um, I find that Star Wars games really do well from having a long sort of time to really grow into it. Um, We're past a decade of playing Star Wars The Old Republic. You know, people mocked it when it came out. And look, we're we're more than 10 years since it launched and it is still going strong. There is still a really dedicated core of people that play it regularly. Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes has been going on since the very end of 2015. And that is a really hardcore player base that are dedicated. People spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars on this game. Yeah, it's um, individually accumulated. Yeah, 
cumulatively they spend billions. It's, it's, it's a billion dollar game. Yeah, because people really get into it and it, it's super competitive at the top tier. You can play it completely free and just potter around and just collect characters and do your battles and things like that. Or you can take it really seriously. And then I've also played the other games that predominantly on mobile gaming because that's where most games have come out in recent years and they kind of because they come out they seem really fun and then they fizzle just off the top of my head looking at the ones that I tried I tried Force Arena, Rivals, there was the Puzzle Droids collection. These games, they, they, they were fun to play, but they didn't stick around. I really liked Force Collection. That one stuck around for a few years. So largely mobile games you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. they, they lost, they lost sort of their way and just kind of fizzled out. And I worry if there's, there's like a push to do something every six months, then you get these short cycles where people buy in, they spend money, and then before yeah. you know it, the if, game's folding. Oh, and then yeah, you're just like, no, oh, no, I the, put all that the time and effort into it. If the business strategy is to go for the quick buck. That's nowhere yeah. near as satisfying for actual Star Wars fans by any stretch. You want to you want to invest and stick to something. Yeah, so I get why people invest a lot of money in the likes of Galaxy of Heroes and the Old Republic because you know it's been around. It's not suddenly going to pull the rug out from under you and you've lost money and and just you get emotionally invested in games and it's something, especially these sort of ongoing ones where you collect and collect and collect and you spend a lot of time in it. It's not like, not like the story ones where you start at the beginning and you end and then you sort of, you're emotionally done. You can play it over and over if you want to, or you can just play it the once to, and to experience the story and, and walk away. But on the other hand, I do appreciate that from a gamer perspective, when EA had exclusivity, it felt like there were years where there was nothing oh, there new. Was. Yeah. Nothing new. And then every now and again, they'd be like, oh, we hear rumors of a new Battlefront or we hear rumors of this, like, you know, uh, 1313 and then it just, just disappears, you know? And then we spent years where just nothing was really coming out because EA was just, I don't know, sitting on their hands apparently and not really uh, monetizing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think I'm hoping that this will kind of bring about that kind of LucasArts era where there were fun, exciting Star Wars games every year to look to look forward to, no matter what your chosen platform, mobile, or, or console, style. PC, yeah, and and different ones. You know, there are not everyone's into FPS, not everyone's into yeah. MMOs. And I hope that they like take. Stuff, I yeah. hope that they take into account Star Wars fans. Uh, rather than gamers, you know, I know that if it's, it's tricky because there are some gamers that will pick up a Star Wars game and then they'll like try it out and whatever and then they'll move on to the next one. But in order for Star Wars games to have longevity, you've got to hook in the Star Wars fans that only want to play Star Wars video games. They don't have interest in, in just constantly playing oodles and oodles of different video games. You, to get the people that'll stick around for a decade, like Star Wars The Old Republic, you've got to have people that are invested in Star Wars, not just the people that'll just play, play it as an MMO for a couple of months or whatever, beat the bosses and then just move on. You know, they don't stick around for the new content or to try and really progress. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, yeah, the people that are stuck around are those that want to truly be a Jedi or mm. a, or a Republic commander rather than someone who just wants to be another tank Yeah, you enjoy the world. I mean, the thing with Star Wars The Old Republic, there are 16 different advanced classes to play. You can play them light side, dark side. You can play them in any sort of variety of ways. And it's it's been 10 years, and I still haven't played all the different variations and all the characters that I could possibly play because there's just a lot of content. So you've got to hook in the Star Wars fans that want to experience all the Star Wars storytelling that's there. That's obviously for the big games. When it comes to the... The mobile games, I'm hoping that we get a bit of a mix of some fun ones, some... Some time wasters would be fun, actually. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while since we had a good time waster Star Wars I like Puzzle that. Droids, the one that yeah, we could just open, play it a little well bit. I love Tiny... I don't know why they pulled the plug on that. It felt very popular. I wish that they, maybe they would like reboot it or give us something like that. That was so much fun. And you still see... It's almost like a knife every time I see merchandise that uses the little Bittersense style yeah. of art. It showed up on T-shirts. I saw it so used little, in Star Wars Card Trader. 8-bit, 16-bit Card Trader style. is another one that's a one that's stuck around and people are willing to spend a lot of money. Star Wars Card Trader from Topsy. Yeah. yeah, that one is a dedicated game. And it's and it's very different sort of it's it's technically strategy. Um because there's all sorts of like I don't know, puzzles and, and the way that you sort of open packs and trade with people and there's always this constant quest to kind of get the hard rare cards and well, they've, and, yeah, they've added a lot of things strategic. into it. Yes. 
you've got to like um oh the the current one with the pilots where you've got to like you collect all the pilots and then you make the squadron and then you kind of climb up the ranks to earn like the the top tier sort of cards and you get little rank badges and stuff yeah there is a lot of fun star wars games that have fallen by the wayside because they didn't really have the i don't know the passion or the marketing or for whatever reason i'm hoping that we at least if not all of these are successes that we at least get a few more so we don't have those years of nothing. Yeah, well, I think that's what this implies, that we won't have dead, dead air for quite yeah. the same stretch that we have had in the past, but it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Most of those titles I just announced are, are the AAA titles, and we don't know what's going to fill the gap in between those. It'll be interesting to see that in particular. I'm hoping this is a little bit like like we saw with Star Trek. Star Trek went really quiet oh, yeah, after Enterprise. Episode, yeah. And and it got to the point where fans are like, okay, if you're not going to give us anything, we're going to make our own stuff. And then Paramount was like, oh, hang on, hang on. We actually have a really big franchise that we can make a lot of money. Let's jump into that. And now we've got merchandising and app games and movies and TV shows and stuff like that. And I know Disney didn't have the down period. As soon as they bought Star Wars, they're like, okay, we need to make a lot of money. And I'm hoping that this is just from a gotta get the ip out there because people love it and if they already like the ip then they're already invested into the game it's not just like a random puzzle game or whatever there's already a star wars a recognizable ip it's pushing the disney brand out there that it's not just we need to just absolutely attack everyone's wallets and just try and rake in as much money as we can by just spamming them with games and stuff like that you know oh go buy this game buy this game buy this game and then you know six months later the game's abandoned and it just they don't care because they got your money anyway I'm hoping that we don't, like, it's so sad that they just kind of abandoned Battlefront. They finally got it to a point where people are really happy with it, and they're just like, see ya, bye. They didn't have to announce it, they could just slowly taper off, but when you announce that you're stopping supporting a game, people lose faith. Yeah, jump ship. Yeah, and it's a good game. People enjoy it, but as soon as you announce that, everyone's like, well, it's a dead game now, so why am I going to continue to play it? It's it's sad, and I wish that they're just like. I, mean, I know you can die. You can't even go back to it down the line for nostalgia purposes. Yeah, like you can with the original Battlefront. They should have. If you're not going to support it, switch it on so you can do full AI. So you're just one person playing against an entirely AI team, like the old Battlefronts are. If yeah. you want to boot up the original Battlefront, you, you still can, can still play it with one person. I think if you're going to abandon a game like that, do that. But that's way tangent. Very exciting to know that we've got lots more Star Wars games. On the horizon, very much looking forward to the Knights of the Old Republic remake. That's one that really stands out for me personally. Okay, moving on to a handful of product announcements and store reports. The UCS LEGO Razor Crest has been uh, rumored and leaked for a little while now, formally announced with a date and a price. It'll be coming out on the 7th of October for general release. VIP members can get it through the LEGO online store from the 3rd of October. This is set number 75331. It comes in at 6,187 pieces. It includes minifigures of the Mandalorian, the Mithril, and Quill. Also a Grogu LEGO figure in a pram, hover pram, and a buildable Blurg LEGO figure. The whole set features removable engines and cockpit, two side hatches and a cargo compartment with space for the Blurg, a weapons cabinet and Lego minifigure sized carbon freezing chamber. Also has a detachable escape pod. The New Zealand price is $969.99. That's really cool. I mean, I know this is one of those vehicles that really just sort of struck all the right points when it was released. Took a while to kind of get merchandise of the Razor Crest. Obviously, Hasbro finally got their big version out there, but I think ever since it was released in Lego form, people are like, ooh, but what if you did it in the yeah, UCS? Yeah. So, this is, so this it's is not the first of, Lego. They've done it in a pretty big scale before, yeah. as well as um, sort of miniature. Mini rig, sort of mini vehicles sort of sized yeah, ones. Yeah. But yeah, this is the full, the big sized sets, like the recent a, a gunship on, and the AT-AT. So very cool. This is going to be a hot piece. This The UCS line in particular are the ones where if you've got a really special Star Wars ship, you can just buy just that one. You don't need to buy lots of sets. You don't need to sort of build stuff around them. This looks really cool just as a one and done sort of, if you're a really big Mandalorian fan, you can sort of add this to your sort of Razor Crest slash Mando collection. If you're, you know, a Lego fan, you can put this alongside all your other UCS ships. It's very cool. I noticed 
notice that they're like nudging it just under the thousand dollar price point here in New Zealand, which puts it is not the most expensive no, QCS. It I looks noticed, like a fairly just, chunky build, but the the eighty oh, eighty yeah, is yeah, one yeah. of the most expensive it was ones. Thirteen fifty, like yeah. I think. So this one's a little bit, a little bit more than, say, the gunship and the landspeeder as expected. Um, but yeah, this one, and it comes with, you know, all the kind of figures that you'd want to, to come with this one. And, and, and a fully featured interior uh, design as well. Speaking of Lego, just having watched Andor recently, the previously announced and released Lego Andor set Ambush on Ferrix now makes a whole lot more sense. That's available uh, locally through retailers and through the Lego shop for 139.99. Set number 75338, 669 pieces. Just want to mention it because, yeah, it actually does make a lot more sense. And having seen it and having seen what people are talking about online, those funny little um, tack pods that the Primor security forces use to get down to the planet Ferrix, uh, they're actually, even though they're funny little squat things that just fit people standing up. It's quite a cool design that seems to be pretty well received. Yeah. So this set includes a mobile tack pod with opening canopy and ramp, speeder bike and three minifigs, Cassian Andor, Luthan Rail, and Deputy Inspector Cyril Khan, who is a character played by Kyle Sola. You can get that through most places that stock Lego, including the Lego store and the online store, of course. I'm hoping to see more Lego sets from yeah. from Andor. Well, this, this is, is not this is not is a like defining a good... piece. It's but yeah. it, but it is fun and it does make more sense now. But there's probably better ones they could do as well. Yeah, because we didn't really get that much in the way of Lego from Obi Wan Kenobi. We kind of had a the sort of the uh, Obi Wan Vader fight set with sort of flames in that. It was a little bit underwhelming in terms of just the set itself. The environment that came with the minifigures was uh, not the most of interesting plain, ones. But I get the sense just just on the trailer alone that Andor could could really be explored well in Lego form in terms of big big sort of vehicles and, and scenes and things like that. I'm hoping that we won't have to wait too long after the episodes have aired to get more glimpses at Lego and or scenes. I really like Luthan Rail's personal starship. Yes. And I think that would look great from the Jazzwares Micro Galaxy Squadron line, just as a just as a side note. <laughs> that line we particularly like, and we've talked about it before. We'll probably talk about it again, talk about it again because Wave 2 is... Is imminent, but um, Luke and Rail's ship would, would look good in a few different formats, including Lego potentially. Just talking uh, quickly about a new announcement regarding Hasbro Black Series 6 inch figures. Last week we talked about the Halloween edition figures that included things like um, skeleton clone troopers and a werewolf type walkie, and I kind of made a comment thinking that those were pretty much all we might see in terms of holiday themed releases from Hasbro last year because previously their sort of Christmas green and red recolors of clone troopers and so forth locally at EB Games and such like, they tend to be peg warmers. But lo and behold, just in the previous week, another set of six have been announced. Six Black Series Holiday Edition figures will be coming back. They are retailer exclusives at different stores in the US and we will likely see these from EB Games in New Zealand. Some of these are fine, but when you get them on mass, I think they probably will end up on the shelves for some time after Christmas. I'll mention them anyway. Holiday editions of the Stormtrooper, the Clone Trooper, that's a gingerbread edition of the Clone Trooper, a Wookiee, a Mandalorian Warrior, a Protocol Droid, and a Scout Trooper. Yeah, I think I saw one of last year's Christmas figures still on the shelves at EB Games, not on clearance, you know, still at full price. I think they're going to have to move last year's, you know, when when, when, fun, when fun holiday enough. stock is so old, it's now mm. in season again. Yeah, it was a fun <laughs> enough gimmick in, yeah. in concept, but when there's six per year and they're just oversupplied, it becomes a little bit burnt out. I don't know why I feel completely different about Funko holiday editions, though. I don't mind like the cute Valentine's Day ones where they're all holding little hearts, all the Christmas ones. But when it comes to, I don't know, it just sort of feels like st- like Hasbro stuff in the Black Series. It's like four characters from the movies and stuff like that. Funko just sort of seems more fun and playful because they're already quite stylized anyway. And, and well, with their holiday we get, releases, they've gone to arguably a little more effort in terms of re-sculpts. They're not just repaints. The new ones are fully sculpted. And yeah. even the Valentine's Day ones. Different they're, poses. They have different they poses. They're re-paints. holding little boxes of chocolates yeah. and hearts and things like that. They've got like a little note on the base. You know, something cute. There's a little bit of effort into these. A lot of these ones just feel like they just... Used so, exactly 
the same figure with different paint Not on it. Not trying to be too dismissive if you happen to collect these or, or want to collect this range when it comes out this year. But at least I they think, shouldn't cost a lot. No, no, I think they're going to be sticking around for a little while. On they should be like normal pricing. I think it's more to do with the pricing because, like, with oh, yeah. Funkos. Like, you know, the Valentine's Day one, the Christmas ones, they're the same price as regular Funkos on the shelf. So you don't need to, like, think too hard. You go and do special edition ones and go and put them in a shiny box and then charge $60 for it. And you're like, hmm, do I really need it? Especially when we're trying to collect up, you know, let's get all the Black Series from Obi-Wan. Let's get all the Black Series from the Bad Batch. And then these, like, random ones show off left field. And you're like, well, they don't fit in your standard collection unless you're a completionist. Or you're a really big sort of Christmas fan and you just love Christmas bits and pieces and you're like, cool. Because we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't get the same sort of deluge of Christmas merch in New Zealand that they do in the States. Because there's like the ugly sweaters and and the sort of, all the bits and pieces. We get some of the ornaments in New Zealand, but by no means anywhere close to what Americans do. Especially when they have their Halloween decorations so close to Christmas and Thanksgiving the holiday season in America is just overloaded with tie-in merch when you get like pumpkin decorations in the shape of characters and then you just move on to um Christmas decorations you know blow up figures for your front lawn and all sorts of bits and pieces like that we don't get it quite as much it'll be interesting to see I note that some of these are exclusives for uh, channels that we kind of get. I see that the gingerbread edition of the Clone Trooper Holiday says Shop Disney. It'll be interesting to see if that will be available on the New Zealand outlet of Shop Disney or because the American Shop Disney ships internationally that they will be the only one to get it. It'll be interesting to see. Otherwise, yeah, I'm hoping if you're a fan that these will show up at EB Games so that we see them locally landed so you don't need to deal with delayed shipping if you want to, you know, have these for Christmas or give them as gifts at Christmas. I'm hoping that they'll all be available locally and that there won't be like a couple that are far flung overseas and you're having to track down those ones at an inflated cost. All right, let's talk about the first three episodes of Andor that screened on Disney Plus last week. Three episodes and one hit was great, and but I think it was necessary. We noticed each time the episodes technically wrapped up, that would have been an awful place to have been left for a first installment. So we were glad to have uh, three episodes uh, spanning over an hour and a half in total. Although this week we will have only one episode, so it will be a little bit of a step back to a much shorter installment which will be a little bit a little bit uh, of a letdown uh, in comparison to the big dose of and or uh, big dose of star wars that we got last week let's talk about these episodes i'll run through a quick synopsis and we'll uh, just discuss them as we break down the sort of main chunks of scenes Episode 1 begins five years before the battle of yavin cassie and andor travels to the industrial planet of of morlana one on the trail of his missing sister this seems to be one of his core motivating character sort of points at this stage of the story. While searching for her in a brothel, Cassian is antagonized by two Primor Authority security officers. So we've been introduced to this whole new Primor Authority sort of security force, leading to Cassian and or accidentally killing one of the officers and executing the other in order to tie up loose ends so he doesn't get in trouble or at least immediate trouble. Cassian flees from Morlana 1 to the planet Ferrix where he attempts to hide his involvement by convincing his adopted mother, Marva's droid B2EMO, and his friend Brasso to cover for him. Open's pretty complex in terms of overall layout of, of characters and involvement, but uh, just at the very highest level, Primor Authority is the sort of um, governing security force that has a presence on Morlana 1 and also Morlana 4 in the same system. Technically, they're involved in Ferrix which is the planet Cassian flees to, but they don't have a permanent um, security force on that planet. And that kind of explains the way things pan out with the security forces moving from Morlana 1, tracking into Ferrix later. So some other high-level trivia. Preox Morlana, also known as the Primor Authority, was a corporate conglomerate that politically administered the free trade sector in the galaxy. Both Morlana 4 and Ferrix were under their jurisdiction, and its main headquarters were based on the planet Morlana 1, Although Ferrex was technically under Preox Morlana control, Preox control elect any presence by it and was left largely to its own devices. 
We get a little bit of that with some of the later scenes where they're like, you know, have you been there? They, yeah. they kind of do their own thing. They have their but own it way. Like, it unpacks slowly. So you yeah. do got to pay attention to what's going on and yes. get, a, get a vibe for the yeah. state of the universe. And I think it's a slightly bit more of a, a mature way to tell stories than being spoon-fed every every yes. um, element along the way. But it does require you to concentrate and, and, and work. Yes. This is definitely one that's clearly not really designed for kids we are re- we immediately go into ha- searching a brothel and you know having having you know people die in in the early scenes and we see that i know that from some of the early screenings the 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 word that was coming out was gritty dark and gritty that that was the kind of the high level kind of review that people were doing while the embargoes were in place and we definitely get that this yeah. this first well, episode is definitely as you would say dark and gritty it just jumps straight into it this is not for kids this isn't the clone wars we haven't got sort of bright a, colors just as a side note i know it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's and it's distinctly different from other star wars material we've got but I feel it pushes it up to the line without going too far over yes, it. Yes, yes. No, it's no, still this palatable. isn't adult. Yeah. Children can still watch it, but this is not sort of like we haven't got quite the same humor. So it's and gritty I, without really, really crossing a line. It's just yeah. gritty enough to be different from some of the other material we've seen. And I think that's I think that's interesting because for a long time, a lot of people that grew up with Star Wars that are now adults have wanted something a bit more adult out of Star Wars. And that's not necessarily yes. where we want to go on the whole. I don't yeah. think that's what's going to work. But this is this is a, no, this is a nice change. It's sort of made for an adult audience, but it's not got adult content that would make it un, un, un sort of like beyond the age limit of like what children would want to watch. And I think we'll get to some exciting action sequences. We're obviously dealing with a little bit more sort of intrigue, which, as you say, you do need to pay attention yeah, intrigue, because we go straight mystery, into it. We haven't got too much scene setting. Some like, really I think complex about, characters, much more depth to some of the characters already. I think about some of the scenes in Obi Wan. We get a lot of Obi-Wan brooding alone on a planet for a while. So mm. we sort of, we get this whole sort of emotive, he's lonely. We get a sense of what his life is like, what he's been doing, you know, his day-to-day routine and stuff like that. No, we're going straight into conflict with Cassian. You know, he's running from these people. Who are these people? Oh my gosh, they're, they're going to, you know, there's like everything sort of happening and we don't know who everybody is yeah. and, and how everything kind of matches up. Two we're just like throwing straight into yeah. the action which is fun and straightforward especially when we're dealing with these limited series and we're like okay we know we've got x number of episodes we all want them to be longer than they inevitably end up being um so we haven't got fluff here we're going straight in interspersed with some short scenes from his childhood yeah we'll to give to us those. a little bit of backstory but yeah. i liked the way it jumped in i wasn't focusing too much on character names because i feel like that's the sort of thing that's going to just absorb into my brain with repeated watchings and certainly some of these characters will end up inevitably through the course of the storyline being more important than others and you don't need to like try and remember every character that's on the screen because some of these we might never we don't actually know who of these people we're going to meet in subsequent episodes and you kind of got a vibe from that from the original trailers there were a lot of people in the trailers particularly people's faces and you're like is that a named character or is that a random extra reacting to something you didn't know who was going to be important and who was just going to sort of be you know extra sort of denizens of the galaxy so i'm it's really interesting it feels so very it's kind of it feels familiar but then different to the star wars shows that we've got already this one certainly doesn't have quite the same humor that we have gotten the humor in the Mandalorian's kind of a quiet, subtle humor between, particularly between Mando and Grogu, and and then Obi Wan didn't really have much humor at all. We get a lot of humor in the animated shows, and obviously in the Star Wars live action, there is an undertone of humor. You know, there's always somebody that's you know got a line. From this one, I think it's the droid was giving us humor, but it wasn't jarring with the tone of this. This feels like. Like, you know, like an action movie and we're just in like the first couple of minutes. We get some action and then we're going to get a little bit of intrigue and then we're really going to sort of ramp up the story. And I think that's a perfect fit for the the story of Cassian and how it's going to go into Rogue One. Yeah. So still in episode one, Andor is now in this situation where he is being uh, pursued or fears he's being pursued and he needs to um, lay low, get out of the region where he can be traced. So he asks his friend Bix to connect him with a black market buyer. This Cassian has acquired a star path unit. He's actually had it in storage just as a, um, um, a you know a trading token for some time. A valuable piece of imperial navigation technology. Bix agrees and contacts the buyer about her attempts to hide her connection with Cassian and make her boyfriend Tim suspicious. 
Back on Morlana 1, the Chief Inspector of Security elects to cover up the murders to improve his report that he has to pass on to imperial authorities. But as his deputy, a bit more of a dutiful and keen character, Cyril Khan is determined to solve the case. But a trivia, although it's not critical to the story, the NS9 Starpath unit is an expensive and untraceable box-shaped piece of Imperial technology. This comes from Wikipedia. They could trace every Imperial coordinate for nine radial parsecs. Not critical to know that level of detail, but he passes over it so, so briefly that you might sort of miss the detail. Bottom line, it is something that has value that he um, is using to get money to get funds to get off planet in the first instance. Basically like a, an emergency escape plan. It's like yeah. a cache, you know, like um, like in spy movies where they have like a cache of like passports and weapons and guns. It's kind of like, a, oh no, you know, stuff's hit the fan. I got to get out of town real quick and here's my here's my escape you know, cash. That's his. That's his thing. His like, like the yeah. um, coaxium in Solo. You know, it's the expensive thing that they're going to use to basically either buy or bribe the way sort of out of danger. So we don't. It's, yeah, the tech is. It doesn't really matter what the tech is at this point. It's just he got it from from the Empire. It's worth, and he's kind of. It's, he's not supposed to have it. So there's an element of it's very valuable and useful to him, but he can't be caught with it. Yeah, and it does lead into the the larger story that the way. He acquired it represents you know his skill set and that's why yes. um, that's, that comes into play in terms of his recruitment to the rebel alliance down the line so we move into episode two where tim's still suspicious of bix's relationship with cassian reports cassian to the Primor security who are now on the planet ferrix they have issued a warrant for andor's arrest having identified him Khan, Cyril Khan, the Deputy Inspector of the Security Force, partners with Mosk, an equally dutiful Primor officer, to arrest Cassian. B2EMO informs Cassian and Marva of the warrants, sending Marva into a panic. Cassian prepares to flee the planet. Meanwhile, Bix's buyer, Luthan Rail, played by Stellan Skarsgård, travels to Ferex to obtain the Starpath unit and to meet up with Andor. He has, in fact, it transpires, coincidentally been monitoring the situation, monitoring Andor's capabilities and capacity for recruitment for for a while now uh, and it's just a bit of a coincidence that this has all um, come to a head at this point in time which is a little bit interesting these sort of real-time adult cassian sections are interspersed by flashbacks cassian known as Cassa in his youth um, is on a planet um, without a lot of context and not speaking in in english and basic um, and not translated through subtitles either but we get a bit of a vibe of what's going on they are investigating a crashed ship that crashed near their encampment in their village in the forest, which also happens to be near a massive industrial strip mining operation. When one of their owners killed by a crew member of the downed ship, the tribe kills the attacker and quickly leaves the crash site, but Cassa stays and begins to explore the ship. This is a really interesting scene. They're obviously speaking a sort of a made-up language. I did test the Disney Plus subtitles to yeah. see if they said it just says speaking in in Canary. In canary yeah. Um, that they don't, but you don't really need to sort of understand. No, no, you get the you vibe. Do, you do see a little girl that does appear to be Cassian's younger sister yes, in this tribe. Yes. Upon sort of reflection, you notice that there are no adults within this tribe. The yeah. eldest seem to be teenagers, sort of 16, 17 yep. year olds. There's no adults there. They seem to have clothes that look like they are cut out of adult clothing. They all look slightly too big. They all look like they're cut and tied together. This is not a society that this is their so natural clothes. They haven't woven this from natural fibers. They are yeah. found yeah. items. We know that they are, are using what appears to be poison blow darts as their weapon they don't have projectiles they don't have tech or anything like that these are just curious kids investigating so the presumption something. the presumption of the bigger picture is that they're a village of of indigenous peoples that live in the forest and, and you know with their own sort of culture and and level of technology and sophistication but the empire is strip mining the planet they probably forcibly recruited the adults to work on the in the mining facility and when a disaster took place there intentionally or unintentionally all the adults are killed yeah yeah and it's kind of not really sort of in your face but there's sort of moments that let you know like enough the, information to, the people to, to, to that land that. seem to have masks and yeah and it's sort of interesting how whether we'll get any more sort of flashbacks to fill in a few pieces of the puzzle but in an 
that is enough really to sort of understand that yeah there's going to be conflict i want to i want to know more about these scenes but that's okay if that's all that we get in terms of the flashbacks i know uh obviously the book of boba fett sort of established a, a pattern of sort of having flashbacks to tell stories and stuff like that and you know we've seen it a little bit in other star wars t- storytelling i enjoyed here it didn't it wasn't overly complicated but gave us an insight because you know of that famous line he's been you know in this since he was six years old so we see we see what that is you know we're harking back to that line when he was yeah. sort of you know six so well, he looks a little older, older than, than six, six yeah. but I think that whatever the, the disaster happens yes, which means yeah. that the empire has had a devastating effect in his life that would have happened when he was six years old because these children don't look like they're freshly they have been surviving on their own for a while yeah. so well, we're saying in, sounds we're like saying they've imperial. been like a couple of years so we're his saying child... imperial strip mining but technically that's pre-empire so just, yeah. just for clarity it's, it's republic but one way or another it's um, re- resources being taken um, without yeah. thought for the um, local people on the yeah. whole which was probably a we've we've seen hints of the fact that they would have had to have really ramped up starship and and droid production and all that kind of stuff during the clone wars so any kind of mining resource would have been very intensive during that era so we don't know if this was sort of like an element of the clone wars we know that there are clone troopers in the trailer so i'm hoping we get flashbacks of what happens there you know would have been are those clone troopers part of the flashback do we get to see what happens that basically took out parents adults on this planet find out a little bit more about what happened um but i think it's really interesting we see him take out his frustration on the ship he starts attacking mm. panels within the ship and yeah. sort of smashing and it with, with his tool. Because based on what I've sort of seen in terms of conversations since watching those episodes, I think that is trying to establish that um, even as a kid and certainly older, he has a bit of a frustration, an underlying frustration, almost anger management problem, and that does play into his character and some of the things well, he does along the way. Well, his, his desire to sort of fight back, to retaliate, yeah. or like... The way that he stole the Imperial sort of box, we know that he he obviously channels it later on to sort of, you know, working with the Rebellion and working his way there. He's, He's anti-authoritarian, yeah. but, but in a way that's sort of appropriate given that the um, what's going on in the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. So we understand a lot about his character that, that fits in very well with what we know of him from Rogue One. I really wanted to see how, that, how this sort of story progresses and how... He is eventually going to sort of become a, a rebel in in sort of the alignment sense that we know of, like the Rebel Alliance and all that kind of stuff. Even so, if that's sort of black ops. Yeah. We see that he is obviously in these moments we don't see that he is that he is hardened to the point that he is sort of like an underworld killer. It seems to really rattle him when he is sort of well, he admits He's, he admits to Marva that he messed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, he doesn't. He doesn't sort of delight. He doesn't sort of. It wasn't. It wasn't something he took delight in 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 killing somebody that was threatening him. And he he doesn't shrug it off. It's just oh, it's just another day or whatever. It seems like this is maybe the first time he's ever his done. Life has he's, he's sort of crossed that line. Yeah. Um, he's had to take steps to correct himself. To sort of, you know, to make sure that he is, because he's obviously on a very important well, and, quest. Also, yeah, and in terms of, and he has to escape, but in terms of, in terms of tying up loose ends, he leaves money for his adopted yeah. mother, Marva, and also for Brasso, his friend that's yes. um, covered for him and that he owes money to. So, uh, yeah, he's not just bailing on, bailing on everybody, but he yeah. knows he has to he's, get out. He's not selfish and he's not ruthless, but he will sort of protect himself when, when push comes to shove. And we see his sort of, how his life has changed after after his encounter in that alleyway. Um, and I think we know that he has a dark side in in Rogue One. We know that, this, um, as it said, you know, uh, the force swirls darkly around a creature that's about to kill. We know that he has killed. He, we, he alludes to that and we kind of get that sense in Rogue One. But this is him when he's kind of, he's done it for the first time and we're sort of seeing how it's affecting him and that he's, he's not a hardened killer, but he, well, he, he will this, do it in this, in the sort of underworld of the galaxy. It's kind of, you know, eat or be eaten yeah. type thing. So this establishment, this early on, before he joins the Rebel Alliance when he's just um, finding his footing, 
it really makes me glad that the way they're going to structure Andor over two seasons will take us all the way to Rogue One. Yeah. You know, sometimes you like bits to be left out, but it's left me really wanting to know Cassian's entire story yeah. between now yeah. and Rogue One without any gaps because we've got so much information and so much detail to digest. I really would feel unsatisfied if there's, you know, gaps beyond this. But it sounds like we're going to get most of that information over the span of the two seasons of Andor. Yeah. So we're moving pretty fast through the episodes because we're talking about three episodes in their entirety. So let's just give the synopsis for episode three. Luthan Rael arrives on Ferex and meets Cassian in an abandoned factory with Andor believing that he is just there to sell his star path unit to Rael. Cyril Khan and security officer Mosk also arrived with a dozen security officers. They confront Marva, but she refuses to cooperate. Cassian wants to sell the star path Starpath unit to Rael and leave Ferex, but Rael tries to persuade him to join the Rebel Alliance without explicitly saying what uh, what that involves. Citing Cassian's repeated success at stealing from and sabotaging Imperial ships. When Khan's officers raid the factory, the two men escape back to Marva's house where they subdue Khan. When Bix learns that Tim informed on Cassian, she rushes to aid him only to be stopped by the officers who then kill Tim when he attempts to intervene. Bixes and handcuffs at that point she can't help out. The officer who fired the shot that killed Tim is sent back to the shuttle to await punishment, but the shuttle doesn't manage to take off because it has been sabotaged with a long cable by Brasso. After creating an explosion that fells some of the officers with an unmanned speeder, Rail and Cassian escape the planet, leaving a stranded Khan and Mosk behind. So there was a lot of action, a lot of story that took place pretty, pretty fast-paced and succinctly in those uh, latter stages. Some really interesting performances from the Primor security officers as well as uh, Stellan Skarsgård. I really, really enjoyed what we're seeing from all those actors and people involved in it. Yeah, I'm just, like, obviously when you see a, a lineup of actors and you're like, I like them, I've seen them in bits and pieces, but I was really impressed with the the actors that I knew, um, including the actress that's playing Marva. I, yep. I immediately, sure. I'm immediately drawn to her character. Obviously, I, I, you know, people are mostly familiar with her work in the Harry Potter franchise, but I think she's she's immediately fascinating. She's the one that rescues Cassian or Cassar as he is known. She's on, wise and experienced yeah, and strong. But she's she's like she's obviously having to sort of you know they're they're obviously you know trying to scavenge the ship for bits and pieces so and, much, and yeah. yeah and she she immediately knows that this kid is not going to survive so she rescues him and i think that is really interesting she's really confident and self-assured she makes decisions even when she's got somebody telling her sort of no and i think and she's obviously gone through a hardship we get uh through the conversation with rail and Cassian, yeah. we find out that his father was hanged. So that's going to be a flashback, potentially yes. involving the clone troopers. So, so Marva and Clem, they're married, but they 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 just fly around in their starship salvaging and selling off what they can salvage together. So they're very, very independent. But for some reason, she has settled down on the planet and, and Clem, Clem has been killed by, you know, authority forces of some sort. Yeah. And, and I think that that is another element of why Cassian has sort of a hard edge on him in Rogue One. Yeah, you know, he knows re- the galaxy is, is a hard place and, revenge, yeah. and he might not necessarily know how to fight back, you know, immediately. And I think that there's some really interesting notes in that conversation um, when Rail is obviously trying to sort of convince him to come with them and, you know, maybe there's, sort of uh, join up and stuff like that. There are really, so many details. Just just the the performances, the way they deliver their lines, the 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 expressions on their faces and stuff like that. Well, even they Cyril find Khan, out like the security officer, the deputy inspector, has got depth to him. He's obviously yeah. someone who he's motivated to perform well. It, he's got some self doubt. You see that while he's alone, he comes across as quite hard because he is motivated, but feels like he's surrounded by incompetence. Um, yeah, you almost feel bad for him by the end when he realizes that he's out of his depth and a number of his forces have yeah. actually been killed. Yeah, and we don't know where that's going to leave him. I love the just the um the sort of the shock in his face. Yeah. You don't know whether he's going to sort of double down and become a really quite ruthless, or whether this is going to sort of shake his faith in what he is doing. Yeah, um, it's like really that. going to be interesting. I I particularly like the the little sort of extra. I mean, Disney released a little bit of the scene between 
Stellan Skarsgård's character and Cassian sort of while they're sort of trying to sort of trade and they're sort of talking a little bit about the empire at sort of at large and the way that he sort of talks about you know the way they tell you to stop and to go and to die I thought that that was like a really interesting sort of segment and I'm super keen to sort of dive into more of his character we're getting you know we don't really know what his position in the galaxy is he obviously has money he flashes 40,000 credits with just a blink of an eye, yeah, you know, and he's just like, like he, offers, he doesn't care. Because no, no, even more than that, he offers a thousand to hear Cassian's story. Yeah. And when Cassian, I think he was playing on it intentionally, he knew what Cassian meant when he said another thousand. Yeah. He, he was basically upping it to 42k. Yeah. Uh, and without, just like without done. Flinch, without flinching. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just really impressive. And obviously everything feels very, very real in terms of, um, yeah. in terms of you know, the, the world that they're living in, the surroundings, the conflict. It's it's very, very artfully done. I am so some impressed other, with some it. Some other trivia and notes that just struck me, particularly writing to episode three, uh, we see that the, the weapon, the pistol that Andor is using, it's a it's a Briar model, which um, actually harks back to, it's shown up in a number of places in Star Wars continuity, but originally sort of um, surfaced in the uh, Dark Forces Kyle Katarn era. It's yeah. the weapon that Kyle Katarn used. But it is the... F- it is the weapon that his adopted father Clem used and originally had when he when he found Casa. Okay. And so it's been passed down from mm. him. It's kind of like a family yeah. family heirloom. I mean, I think that's kind of strong given the fact that uh, Clem Clem Andor is no longer around. Yeah, I like the nod to because um, obviously if you're deep into the expanded universe lore, you would know that the char- the character of Kyle Katarn was originally the one that stole the Death Star mm-hmm. plans and when obviously Rogue One was written, that sort of story got written over. So for fans that are sort of uh, still still enjoy the, the sort of the storylines and, and the character of Kyle Katarn, that little nod there I know a few people are like hoping that like Admiral Thrawn he might get brought in in some manner Do they are we going to see like a character called Kyle in the Rebel Alliance in some manner prior to Rogue One, you know, just kind of put him in there, you know, not too obvious, but just kind of for the fans to enjoy. But I immediately recognized the the blaster and I was like looking up going, I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm pretty sure that's that's a Briar pistol. Yeah. Um, and looking up and yet sure, um, seeing other fans and noting the same thing. The other thing that I thought was really cute, I really like the new droid. And I think it's knows. really Whoa. interesting that he talks yeah, with yeah. a human I'll voice. I'll some trivia. He is puppeted by the same guys that puppeted BB-8 and a number of other characters in um, other Star Wars. And the voice is that of one of the puppeteers. So, yeah, it's coming straight from one of the guys that... that and it's it's hard to really make a character like that come to life and yeah, because it's that's, a box <laughs> in a way that's you know adorable and, and yeah. charming and, and yeah, you know he's got facial expressions even though his face is static and yeah, yeah his voice is his voice is fun. It's cute, like it's 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 not it's not comedic and and jarring with the tone of it, but there's just sort of a little bit of because obviously droids are that sort of we haven't seen too many droids so far. He's the most sort of standout droid that we see in the show so far, but of obviously droids of tend to have that kind of cute or sort of lighthearted relief moments within Star Wars. So I like I'm 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 worried for him when there was a threat and they're just like pull pull his pull his battery no, no, out. No. And it's just like no 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 and you're just sort of like no no he's too cute he kind of cowers down. You know the way he zaps um the dog at the start <laughs> towards the start. Um there's just little moments that I think is really cute. I immediately want like merchandise of that little droid. I think it's so cute. It always felt like such a such a misstep. The amount of merchandise that was uh, BD from um, the Last Jedi, and it was a droid that we didn't know much about. We barely saw him on screen. I'm really hoping we get lots of merchandise of this new droid. Very cute, and I'm like worried that he's never going to see him again because <laughs> um, obviously he's not with them and stuff like that. But was sort of important to the plot. Um, you know, at the same time, I hope we see Marva again. We yeah. don't know at this point how much of this planet. Uh, Cassian is ever going to yeah. get back to? No idea, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, just just talking to B two before we go away too far from that. I love the um, bit where Marva tells him to not say a word, yeah. and he looks there, and, and that just before Cassian returns home, and and B two wants to talk to Cassian, but he can't because he's been told not to. And then Marva tells him to say something. And he says, "Can I speak now?" Yeah, <laughs> so good. There is some, yeah. It's it's not like overplayed, but it's it's cute and sort of adds a little bit of. 
a little bit of warmth to yeah the sort of the coldness of of the scenarios that Cassian's finding himself in. I like the friendships that he's got. Yeah, definitely. I think they're really um, quite neat. You know, he's obviously some, living a hard life, but he's found connection with the people well, there's around some, him. There's some sort of community networks that mm. relate to um, trying to maintain some of their independence despite the oppression by the, the corporate authority. Yeah. But then there's his individual friends like Brasso, who clearly he's got a um, und- uh, an understanding with yeah. in terms of covering Yeah, for the him. way that they kind that of really very cool fluidly come up with the cover story, just sort of talking backwards and forwards as if they were really telling what happened that night you know sort of like add to the story and we know that there is an undercurrent of distrust in authority because when things really start to hit the fan and the security force is stomping around town everyone is banging on their pieces of metal there's kind of this knowing about what it's about what that means yeah um, between that network of communication that was actually started by the guys the Bix went to who, in the back of their shop, they had the um, yeah. secret comms tower that she used to communicate off-planet to Lethem Rao. So, yeah, that's what I mean by that sort of established sort of community network that, that's Which there is interesting because the security force doesn't have a really a strong presence on the planet, if at all. And stormtroopers don't seem to be on no. this planet. But they, they without a daily in-your-face imperial presence they know what the what the tone of the galaxy is like mm. even on their little planet they yeah. have they know That's that there's point. like a sort of an oppressive rule and they've got their own little undercurrent even though there With, aren't stormtroopers on the corner watching them move yeah, around they still they have these little secrets if they don't perform if they don't ship out whatever it is that's yeah. coming off the planet for the for the empire or the corporate sector or yeah. whatever then um then then there will be a stronger presence yeah yeah there. and so I, I think they know that, that, that they've, they've figured out a way to live life um, and sort of keep under the radar and so that they don't attract attention. And, you know, like as we get from one of these security forces, they're like, they've got their own way of doing things, you know, just, just leave it alone. It's just going to end up, you know, like we don't know whether something has gone wrong on this planet before. And that's why there isn't a security force there, you know, whether they just basically, you know, sort of did like a hunger games and just bombed them as some sort of punishment or, you know, had some sort of catastrophic event and they're just like, they learned their lesson. Um, and there's, this kind of this undercurrent of people that just still feel like they want to keep up sort of uh, yeah. a rebel feel for it. So I, I, I really liked these episodes. I feel invested in these characters. I don't know if we'll see them again, but each of them feels very fleshed out, even though we don't get backstory. They feel like well-constructed even, characters. Yeah, yeah. Once the world building is there times. without having to throw all the details in your face. Yeah, you don't even need to know all of their names. You, yeah. just, you get the impression of what their role is in the bigger yeah. picture. Yeah, because there's another one where an acquaintance sort of confronts Cassian demanding money with a with an alien that's just kind of big yeah. and large. He's not particularly mean, but he's just standing there that the other one's it kind of supposed to be intimidating, yeah. but, but Cassian actually knows him too well yeah, to take him seriously of, yeah. in that regard. Just sort of moments like that. We know he's got like, you know, he looks like he's a busy person that knows how to work with people. You know, he's he's got all his kind of connections, the things that he does. He seems to be sort of walking with, with purpose through the town you know and everyone kind of like you know he's got little little inns in like the the shipyard the the guard with the dogs kind of knows that he's there to do some sneaky stuff and everyone's just kind of this this whole underworld where there's all sort of nods and winks and secret signals and they know what's going on so i i think that that was fun we don't know whether we'll meet these characters much later on i am really i mean I loved these first three episodes. I was surprised that we didn't get anything of Mon Mothma and sort of the Coruscant and that side of things. It does make sense because we haven't chapter. we haven't even sort of touched on the Rebel Alliance. You know, uh, Luthan Rail doesn't say the Rebel Alliance. No. He's just like, hey, come with us. We might have, you know, something for you to do. Um, so I think that that worked well from an editing perspective because we don't you know, we, we sh- he, we're kind of following his story. So he doesn't know about the Rebel Alliance at this point. The audience does, but he doesn't. So we're following his story and then getting glimpses to his backstory because, you know, as he's like, you know, going through to strife, we're getting a little glimpse into sort of his, his personality and what he's gone through in life. So I think this is some really expert storytelling and I'm fully on board. I want all the merch and I can't wait for the next episode. So the next episode does screen uh, coming up very shortly, Wednesday, New Zealand time. We're expecting a little bit later because of daylight savings, but uh, somewhere between 7.50 and 8pm New Zealand time, if you happen to be able to be listening to this on uh, Wednesday, New Zealand time. And we will be talking about that episode 
next week in the podcast, but we also talk about it, talk about it on our personal Twitch channel, Villa Varakino. Search for Villa Varakino straight after the episode streams if you want to uh, catch up with spoiler chat with us. Uh, we'll be diving in and analysing that while we're playing some online Star Wars games, but the conversation will be about the Andor episode that we've just watched. That's about it for today's instalment. I guess we are done doing talking. If you've got any thoughts on the topics we discussed today, we're definitely keen to hear them. Let us know what you thought about the first three episodes of Andor. Leave a comment on the YouTube page or our website page for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you taking your time to listen to us share our passion for Star Wars. Stay tuned to our website, swnz.co.nz, for Star Wars news for New Zealanders and another podcast episode next week. Don't forget you can jump on over to either our Facebook group or the SWNZ message boards to discuss all the latest Star Wars news with other Kiwi fans. Kia ora, kia noho, haumaru. Thank you for listening and stay safe. Tūro, Hawaiki. May the Force be with you.